0: Welcome to Longview Baptist Church. Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I am Pastor John. This ministry is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find an answer to the tough questions. And remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. If you're able physically, let's stand out of reverence for the reading of God's word tonight. <clears throat> David again assembled all the fit young men of Israel, thirty thousand. He and all his troops set out to bring the ark of God from Baal, Judah. The ark bears a name, the name of the Lord of armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. They set the ark of God on a new cart and transported it from Abinadab's house, which is on the hill. Yose and Ahiah, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the cart. And brought it with the ark of God from Abinadab's house on the hill. Ahio walked in front of the ark. David and the whole house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all kinds of fir wood, instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, stistrums, and cymbals. When they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah reached out to the ark of God and took hold of it because the oxen had stumbled. And the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah. And God struck him dead on the spot for his irreverence, and he died there next to the Ark of God. David was angry because of the Lord's outburst against Yezza, so he named the place Outburst Against Yezza" as it is to this day. Father, speak to our hearts through your word as only you can. Father, may you alone be glorified. Lord, I pray you would open hearts and speak and prepare hearts all over the globe tonight to hear the truth. And we ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. may be seated. Tonight I want to focus on, we looked at verse, uh, verses 1 through 3 last week was our focal verses, and we moved to, to verse 4. So they bring it with the ark of God from Abinadab's house in the hill, and Ahiah walked in front of the ark. David and the whole house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all kinds of fir wood instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, cistrums, and cymbals. By the way, how many people were here? Does anybody, did that jump out to anybody? 30,000. Now do you want to revisit the topic that I said, that this cart would have been something that would have been a masterpiece? It would have been disgraceful and shameful to show up with some oxen cart to put the ark on. I can promise you that this was something that when people saw it, they were stunned by the beauty of It doesn't matter, does it? doesn't matter how nice outside this building looks, church. I've seen some of the most gorgeous churches that you could imagine. I've been up in Washington, D.C. and seen churches that have been around for hundreds of years. Beautiful, rock, ornate, the the gorgeous stained glass like this beauty we have here. Beautiful stained glass, beautiful painting on ceilings. You know the old stuff? I have seen beautiful works of art. When I went to Israel, remember all of the beautiful things I was telling you about. Even in the temple, they had these little pieces about that big. And these vast floors inside of it, each one of those put down over 2,000 years. These things have been still as beautiful it was as the day that it was made. It doesn't matter what it looks like. doesn't matter right now what your Bible looks like. It better look red. R-E-A-D, not r-e-d. Red Bible. Your Bible, it doesn't matter what your quiet place looks like where you have your quiet time. doesn't matter what your yard looks like this morning, tonight, tomorrow. It doesn't matter. What matters is where is your heart? What's the condition of your heart? Are you living in obedience to what God has clearly commanded, called, and will stand all of us accountable for as followers of Christ? doesn't matter what it looks like. Doesn't matter if you look like you have everything together and maybe you'd come to our place and go, y'all look like Little House in the Prairie, uh, gone rogue, something bad out here. You know what? I'd rather have this right and this right than all the rest of that look nice and everything orderly and in place. Because I know one thing, as I was, I was, somewhere I was driving today and there was an old country store that wasn't open anymore. And I know in that area, there used to be homes and houses just like, People don't know Pepper Hill was a bustling center of, of, uh, of commerce. You know this? Not anytime soon, but 100 plus years ago, y'all, it was big time. You can actually read the history of, of this community right here. There was a whole lot of things going on around here. The sharecropper house across the street that many of you can't even see anymore. Had sharecroppers living there. Th- this was a very vibrant community. Can't tell anymore, can you? I would rather have a house that looked like that one across the street and have my vertical relationship. That's what matters right now is what is your heart? Where's the condition of your heart? The picture of what's occurring right here in this story is a picture of man telling God, I will do what I think's best. And by the way, I know what you said. I'm going to one-up this. I'm going to make you so happy, God, that you don't even know what you're doing. You're going to be so overwhelmed at what I'm doing to make what you've told me to do so much better because you just missed a few of the small details. Looks so much prettier on a cart than on the backs of people anyways, right? Because then we can spend more time in focused worship while it's being transported, while it's coming out of a place where it had been because of disobedience and captivity and repentance. Now God's giving them the ability to bring the ark to where it should be. Let's just go ahead and destroy through our, what? Incremental compromise, believing that God's going to be fine with it. Me and God have an understanding. God's going to be so happy with me. How many times in churches throughout history has someone come in with what they thought was the grandest of ideas, only to present the grandest of ideas that was never prayed over, it was never thought over. It was never properly talked about before they ever brought it. And then what happens? They get mad because someone said, that's not really a good idea right now because of this, that, or the other. And the next thing you know, there's a whole mutiny in the church. How many times has someone said, out of the goodness of their heart, you know, back in the old choir robe days, that was just it, right? People wore choir robes back in the old day. And somebody would have a wonderful suggestion. Well, hey, let's get a choir robe. We'll all look the same. It won't be distracting up there because you know how probably didn't even have the issues that we have now with people dressing less than modestly, but they wanted to have the not the focus be on the people. We'll put choir robes on so everybody looks the same and we can go up there and sing and everybody can focus on the Lord. By the way, just as long as they're blue, right? <clears throat> How many churches have been split over the color of choir robes? You might think I'm joking. Thousands over the course of history. I know this. You know what else is another big one? Some falling out happens with the pastor. Half the church takes off with him and the rest of them are there to stand there going, what happened? <clears throat> God's blessing doesn't happen through division. God's blessing doesn't happen through sin. The blessing of God could not have been on the moving of this cart because this was not what God had called them to do. First thing that I want to share with you comes from that first two verses I shared with you. Ready? Our personal beliefs are right Only when they line up with God's Word. We can have the great. It's nothing wrong with having ideas. At work right now, I have ideas. I am a person that stands back and I watch for inefficiency. In those kind of places, it's not like a normal life. You can't be inefficient. So I've seen things that would help streamline things. What do I do? Hey, I saw this and... This is what, uh, this would help, and you can take it or leave it, do whatever you want to do, but I just saw this. I'm a kind of an external person because I haven't been there that much, and this is what could really help streamline things. What people do with it, see, I'm not going to get offended if they don't do it because I would rather not to have the responsibility of having to implement the things that would need to be done in that kind of structure because it's a very scary structure. You've got people's lives in your hands, Amen. And it's not, a, it's not a fun position to be in for anybody especially who's on top. But you have things in life where you're able to give suggestions about things to try to make things better, but ultimately the same is true with us. This belief system in our personal life, it might sound good. To us it might be right, but if it doesn't line up with God's word, it can't be blessed. Hence, I can't in my lifetime tell you the number of times I've had situations where I've heard stories, and I'm not even talking about here, I'm talking about it in life many, many years ago, where I'd hear someone who the wife wasn't acting right, or the husband wasn't acting right, but long story short, you know, they're having conversations with their friends, and because of said issue, this, the friend says, well, I'll tell you what, I'd go out and find me somebody that would uh, talk or listen to me. No, that's not right, is it? But see, the world wants to tell you, you can just go out and do whatever you want to, because, why? You deserve it. no. You deserve to let your life and your personal belief system be lined up with God's word because if it's not lined up with God's word, it can't be blessed. What do I want for every person in here? I want to see you live in the supernatural blessings of God. Because what I know beyond a shadow of a doubt is if we are not in line with God's word and truth, Everything that we are and everything that our whole entire life encompasses will come to nothing it doesn't matter how we justify it how about this how we try to justify it doesn't matter what matters is what God's word says and what God's called us to do is truth and it does not in any bit of an iota matter that we don't like what God wants us to do. And it's not going to matter if you go out and try to do something that you had a really good intention and you had a really good moral basis with which you decided to do whatever it was. If it was in conflict with God's word and the cards, let's say the consequences come home to roost, the only person you have to blame is yourself. Because if you get in God's word, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, if one of Vast numbers of verses that tell us if we align our lives with God's plans, His purposes, when we trust in Him with all of our hearts, lean not into our own understanding, in all of our ways acknowledge Him, He will direct our paths. We are assured beyond a shadow of a doubt that we will not have a fear. We're not going to have a, a vision that has no uh, understanding of what we should, we don't know where to go because. Well, God's opened the door, but it's, it's, there's a lot of fear and a lot of, uh, that's not God. Because what we know about God is he's not a God of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. And if you had the thought, okay, you ready? Here we are. We're in the committee meeting with the 30,000 people. What numbskull says, hey, let's build a cart. I second it. All those in favor, all 30,000, raise their hand. The first person that made the suggestion of the cart Somebody should have looked at him and went, are you crazy? What are you doing, man? You know what God's word says. You don't even have to say it like that. How about this? You know, if we do that, God can't bless it. You know, God says that the ark's supposed to be carried on the back of the Levites. So we can't put it on a cart because if we put it on a cart, imagine what happens when sin is allowed to enter the camp. It's the same thing as taking a rock and dropping it into the pond, and all of us are in the pond. Oh, that sin won't affect me. Anybody going to not be hit by the waves and the rock that's running the pond? Everybody's hit in it. That's why it's so important. <clears throat> and then look down at verse um, five. Let's see. Yes, five. David and the whole house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with the fur, the wood instruments, lyres, harps, tangerines, sistrums, cymbals. When they came to Nacon's threshing floor, has reached out to the ark of God, took hold of it, because the oxen had stumbled. And I'll stop there. If we are doing something we shouldn't be, intentions don't matter doesn't matter that you did not intend to defy God. It doesn't matter, does it? When you get in the Scripture, it tells you explicitly what to do and what not to do. The same explicit direction God's people had in moving the ark. It doesn't matter if their intention was never to basically throw their hands up in God's face and say listen I don't care what you want we'll do they didn't have that intention I firmly in my mind don't in any way believe not one person in there had any intention of angering God I don't I believe that they were so caught up in a moment of excitement and worship that they ended up going down this road with the best of intentions to honor the Lord to a greater level than they believe they could. But it doesn't, doesn't matter, does it? This is why I think it's so important as we go through this study to look at ourselves. Look how easily we fall into the same type of situations that we're seeing right here. Case in point somebody gets pray over. Jim came to me and asked us to pray over him. Good. That's what the Bible says to do. I've been places. I was at a revival, and the pastor says, hey, I want you to go with me. So we get in the car, and I'm going riding down the road. And I said, hey, what are we doing? He said, oh, we've got a woman in church that has cancer. I want to go over and anoint her with oil and pray over. I said, oh, well, awesome. When did she call you to do this? He said, she hasn't. And I said, why are we going? Because I want to pray over her and, you know, I am just pray the Lord will heal her. I said, do you not know what the Bible says? And I said, the Bible says that she should have called you. And I said, do you realize that you could potentially strip the ability for her to get healed, period? And you could tell he looked at me like I was from Mars. But that's what the Bible says, church. James chapter 5 to me is not a suggestion for what something that I can mix in with my belief system, and I can go to everybody who's sick and say, listen, the Bible says that you should have called me, but let's just pretend you called me, and let's just call it good. No, that's not the way the Bible says to do it. It says the sick one is to call. That's what it says. So if the sick one's supposed to call, what happens if we avert the ability for them to do that by us going to them and saying, hey, I want to pray over you and anoint you with oil. What are we doing? We're praying. But I know that effective prayer is done in accordance with the word. And therefore, when God gives a prescription, I don't care if you don't want to go down to the Jordan River and dip seven times because you think that it would have been better to go back home and do it. It doesn't matter if you or I think that that's foolishness because one dip's sufficient. No, when God says dip seven times, you better take your nappy head down there and go dip seven times because if not, you'll never experience the healing power of God. But isn't that ironic? Anybody remember when he didn't want to dip in the, he was so mad and getting ready to go pouting away you know who spoke truth to him? One of his servants. He says, hey man, if he'd have told you to go and turn flips, I'm paraphrasing, turn flips and, you know, make whatever else and do this, that, and the other, you'd have done that. Why don't you try it? So he goes back, does it, and what happens? He comes out, who's completely clean of his leprosy. When God says it, do it. Don't play games with something that's so dangerous. Oh, you know, I, I want to be apathetic and complacent in church attendance. You know, my oh, you know, my legs hurting tonight, my back's hurting. Yeah, let's all sit around and talk about that. You want to one-up? Y'all one-up you. you no, know, I don't have any desire to sit and dwell in that stuff. Yeah, I have nights and one-ups tonight. My legs are swollen. My back's killing me. I'm not dwelling on that stuff, church. What I'm going to tell you tonight is I have just as many excuses as you do and 10 other ones. But I know tonight that my life is to be a living sacrifice before the Lord God Almighty. And I know that my children are going to watch my complacency and my apathy and my indifference. So if I don't ever show them that the work of God, the power of God, and the gift of God, and going and being a part of corporate worship, which is a commandment in Hebrews 10.25, what in the world do I ever think they'll do when they're adults? They'll do the same thing I did but magnified. So when you showed up whenever it was convenient... And you decided to worship how you wanted to and do what you want. Oh, we're going to have church at home tonight. You know what I'm saying? Right? Because why? You just don't want to get out. want to sit at home and have a bedside Baptist church as inaugural Sunday. And then you wonder one day when you realize the importance of the body of Christ and fellowshipping together, all of a sudden you get a hankering for obedience in your older years when you realize the magnitude and then the profound understanding of your mortality comes to roost. And then you tell your kids, hey, come to church with us. We really want you to come, man. It's so awesome. And, be, and, and I don't know why you don't want to come and they look at you and go, go get lost. Stop saying that to me. I don't want to hear nothing about you. You didn't go. You went when you had time and you weren't busy and you didn't have anything else going on. Just because you're getting serious about your Christian stuff, don't make that the order of my day now. But it's true. That's why Scripture says to impress truth on our children at a young age. Now, can we have prodigals as a godly family? You doggone right you can. But you just trust what Proverbs, what is it, 22, verse, oh, 22, 14? Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. That's when you rest on trusting God. And trusting God that what you have imparted in them and what you have planted in them spiritually through your obedience as a parent, you're trusting God to bring that child to brokenness and repentance, amen? But see, what did you do though? You followed God's prescription for it. You realized that, hey, if we're doing something we shouldn't be, intentions don't matter. I don't care that you wanted to go every Sunday because you wanted them to have a different spiritual experience. You decided to take them to different churches all the time so they could get a vat, no stop, come on. Your children and my children need to see a faithful Die hard, consistent, consistent demonstration of godliness, truth, righteousness, and even repentance and honesty about the battles that we all have growing up. They need to understand that dad and mom can fall flat on their face sometimes, and they have to repent too. Mom and dad don't have it all figured out, but we serve a God that does. And you teach your kids how to be humble in the presence of God, not how to build cards. Because sadly, so much of the battle with us growing up is getting in cars with the three, back in my day, right, the three-piece suits and everything looked great on Sunday mornings. And you fought like absolute dogs all the way to church. And then you said, hey, right, whether it's at Joe Neal's here or whether it's the corner by your church. All right, we gotta stop. We'll do this later on. We'll finish it later on. Everybody walked in. Red as a beet, sweating still. You all right today? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's hot outside. Not realize y'all fighting like cats and dogs in the car on the way to church. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is peace. But let me tell you something. Coming to church and playing like everything's wonderful and it's not, it's not getting anything either, is it? Coming to church, pretending like your family is the model family, right? So, saw a little analogy on this this week. This woman takes her child to the pool and she gets to the pool and takes some pictures with her child on her snap, whatever those things are, Snapchat, Facebook, whatever. And it's a good little analogy here. She takes that picture and then she puts the kid down as she gets on the phone and she's talking to her friend and she spends the next 30 minutes as the child saying, hey, come play with me. Stop, stop. I'm busy right now. busy right now. 30 minutes later, she packs up and leaves. And one of the moms, who's a stay-at-home mom who hadn't had her hair fixed in about six weeks, has gone to church with one of those uh, Looks like she crawled out of a trash can because she hadn't had time to take care of herself. She hadn't had time to wash the clothes like she should. So she's worn an outfit that didn't really fit like it should have. She's done everything she could because she spent all of her time ministering to her family and being the wife that God's called her to be. Maybe she had a part-time job and she's done everything that she can do to do her part. And she happens one night, to be foolish enough, to get on Facebook, and she scrolls through and sees that post from that other woman. What a terrible mother I am. Look at this mom. Went to the pool and spent the day with her kid. She's got herself together. Look, her makeup's nice. She's got this nice swimsuit. Her and the child have matching suits. And look at me. If I went, to the, if I went right now, haven't lost the weight from my last baby, I'd be in a t shirt, a pair of boxer, or you know, a pair of shorts. I don't have any of that stuff. Who's doing what they're supposed to be? That mom that's been working and being what God's called her to, not the one that staged that picture of godly, righteous living in the perfection that their life consists of. See, that's what the enemy does. He wants you to qualify what you're not in your life with the three-minute lie that someone else posts about their life. That is a perfectly choreographed picture of the nice, everything where it should be life that they're living. That's not real, church. You know what's real? It's when you get up in the morning and sometimes you're having a tough time. You might have not slept because you were up with the kids sick or you might have been late with work and you got up and you read your Bible and you got done when you were done and you prayed and then you said, what did I read this morning? There'll be some mornings that you don't know what you read. You know you read it. But you don't know what you read because why you were exhausted from trying to do, and and if it's whether your wife, it's a Proverbs 31 wife, or whether you're wanting to be a husband that's a godly man of the Lord doing what he's supposed to do because you had unexpected medical bills and have had to work a little over, whatever it is. And what happens is, because you don't read that, you allow the enemy to say, you know, you're a sorry, no count Christian. When in reality, you're doing exactly the best you can, but you trust God's word because God's word will not return void. And see, if you're doing something you shouldn't be, those intentions, it doesn't matter on that, but see, when your intentions are to honor the Lord and you're doing the best as God's word's told you, God's gonna honor that. And you won't spend an extra time heart-building at that. The third and final comes tonight, and we'll finish with this. Verse eight. So we got the Lord's anger burning against Yeza in in verse 7. God strikes him dead on the spot for his irreverence. And then verse 8. David was angry because the Lord's outburst against Yeza. So he named the place outburst against Yeza. Third and final thing I want to share with you tonight is this. God will not nor cannot vary from his unchanging standard of truth. You could also say his unchanging standard of holiness You don't reach out and touch the ark. You wouldn't have had to reach out and touch the ark had it not been on a cart. Had it not been being pulled by oxen, it would never, ever have become unsteady. See, God can't change. I'm excited about that. Because I think about it quite consistently. If God could change I don't know how, I really don't know how tonight I would feel about Christianity. Because all I would think about is what happens when the next two trees are put in the kingdom of heaven. Amen? And we all of a sudden are then relegated to hoping nobody takes a bite of that tree. The fruit on the tree. See, God, he will not and he cannot vary from his standard, and his standard's holiness. His standard is laid out in God's word, and the enemy's tricky trade is to do everything to steal, kill, destroy. He loves to muddy the water. What he wants you to do is muddy the water so you can't see. He does, I call it muddied waters of truth. He wants us to muddy it up and to believe that God's going to love it and God's going to be so excited that I didn't go to church because someone had the sniffles at work and I didn't want to risk someone at church getting the sniffles. When in reality, you didn't want to go to church and you just won't be honest with yourself. You're finding excuses not to fellowship. You're finding excuses to forsake the assembling. You don't understand why your life is a catastrophic train wreck. You don't know why in the world that God doesn't speak to you like he does everybody else. You're walking around with a cart and you don't understand why in the world God doesn't like this beautiful cart that you've erected for him. God hates it. I'll just tell you right now, God hates it. He hates the carts because they're In no way indicative, in no way a picture of obedience, submission, humble, faithful, steadfast, sold out service to the king. They are idolatrous pictures of self. self Self-importance, self-belief systems. God's gonna love what can you believe. Just wait till God sees it. No, he's not going to like it because he told you never to do it in the first place. Church tonight, what is the wrecking ball right now in your life? Is it the enemy who's just coming at your steadfast defenses, the bulwarks, the ramparts that you have faithfully erected by steadfast commitment to truth and righteousness and being in God's Word and the lack of compromise, recognizing it when it comes, confessing it for the sin it is, turning 180 degrees from the direction you were going as you were in compromise, headed back to the direction that God calls you to? Or do you not even hear it in the first place anymore because it's become so commonplace in your life? And you end up fighting with God about the cart that God has rejected because you believe that he should have liked it. And you consider yourself to be a martyr. You consider yourself to be persecuted because you're receiving all of this. You consider spiritual warfare for something that's actually consequences for sin in the first place. Tonight, what in your life needs removed? What idol? What cart? What belief system tonight has become to prevalent? What is the prevailing thought process in your life tonight? Where's your heart? See, God cannot and he will not vary from his unchanging standard of holiness. He's not ever done it now, and he up till now, and he never will. He can't. As Willie McLaren says, God can't bless a mess. So tonight, what... During this invitation, can you do to make sure things change? You can get your belief system. You can get your idols. You can haul them out to the dumpster or the burn pile, for that matter. And you can say, God, starting tonight, I'm not going to allow these attitudes that are ungodly and wicked to prevail. I'm not even going to let them in. I'm going to reject them categorically from the moment they begin to take root in my mind. The first time I think about it, I'm going to get them out of here. Maybe you have some that are deeply rooted tonight. Maybe you need some others to pray over you with some things that you're struggling with. Maybe you're dealing with generational stuff that you haven't dealt with and you're seeing that knock at the back door, but you keep thinking if you ignore it, it'll go away. It won't go away, church, because those sins of the Father carried on to the third and fourth generation. Deal with it tonight, because if you don't, I promise you, will become more deeply ingrained in you and it will become more of an effective tool with which it drives and wedges between you and family members, friends, church brothers and sisters in Christ and anything else for that matter because God can't bless a mess but if you get humble tonight and you see these things that God has brought to light and say you know what wow it is tough for me to have to recognize this attitude or this action but I've got to deal with this and if I don't deal with this it's the same thing as me erecting a cart putting the ark on it and walking through the middle of town in praise and worship thanking God for the blessings of life no a catastrophic, again, train wreck is going to ensue and God, again, cannot bless blatant, overt sin or the inconsequential thing we think is not a big deal. What God's word says matters in church. What God's called us tonight is to be living sacrifices, pleasing and acceptable in his sight. Pleasing and acceptable in his sight cannot be us living in blatant and overt sin or with that subtle respectable sin that people believe is not like those other people brothers and sisters sin is sin let's pray father thank you tonight lord for your word and as we go through this study father thank you for the light that it shines god even on these little things we often think are not a big deal god i pray tonight lord that your word has permeated our hearts god convict us lead us guide us direct us into your perfect plan and path and the peace of you that surpasses all understanding that guards our hearts in Christ. Father, I pray during this invitation that you would move in hearts, God, that they would be obedient to hearing the truth, take the blinders off our eyes, God, unstop our ears, Lord, give us the ability to see, to hear, and to be obedient, Father, and I pray tonight, if there's one that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that tonight they would place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, repent of their sin, and ask you to be their Savior and the Lord of their life. God, ones that tonight need to pray for those lost loved ones, those family members, Lord, those prodigal children. God, I pray tonight we would boldly enter your presence, Lord, and continue to lift those up as we know you're beginning to work mighty miracles, Lord, in relation to each one of those people being lifted up. We commit this time to you, and we ask all this in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You want to pray by yourself tonight? Come over here. Hey, pray for that situation right now. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that God's word has encouraged you. You feel like you've had fellowship and been at home with family. Today, if God has moved in your heart and today you would like to make him not only the savior, but the Lord of your life. First, it's important to know that we are sinners. We're born sinners. No one can bridge the gap that was separated when sin broke what God had created so beautifully. If today you know you're a sinner in need of a savior, and you know that Jesus Christ was born, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross to pay for your sin. Today, if you want to, you can trust him as your Lord and Savior. It requires you to pray and in faith, ask him to save you, to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you, and you wanna live for him. I pray today, if you do that, that you will reach out to us. We would love to get you connected in a church body, a church home, wherever that might be and get discipleship around you so you can grow in this new life that you found in Christ. Read God's word. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. God bless you.